Hello and welcome to our first podcast episode entitled Finding a New Normal Post-COVID. So first of all, I wanted to welcome Dr. Miller for joining me today. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Rebecca, for having me. Of course. So let's hop right in. Something I wanted to mention before we start to discuss um, some questions here is something I noticed in doing research in preparation for this discussion is that kind of the media and Google, there's a lot of focus on returning back to a normal kind of physical state. So in terms of gaining smell back or helping with fatigue issues uh, after having contracted COVID and what kinds of things we can do to promote our physical health. Uh, There's a lot less information on things we can do to mitigate the damage that the pandemic has had on our mental health too. So uh, I'd argue that the isolation could have just as a serious effect on us, especially being social beings. Yes, and I agree with you, Rebecca. Um, The psychological well-being of people is key to us being well in our bodies, being well in the world, and being well in the things that we hope to do and be a part of. And when you think of a pandemic with such significant impact on a population as a whole, this is a global pandemic, we you know as people living in our own small worlds were very much impacted but we were also very much impacted within the larger world that we all coexist within as we understood what was going on elsewhere and as we tried to interface or we couldn't interface with some of the processes that we engage every day psychologically isolation is a stressor Mm-hmm. Because we are social relational beings, as mm-hmm. you said, babies need relationships and touch and kind of loving words and kindness and people that attend to them in order to thrive. So do we as adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, across the lifespan. Yes. That social interaction piece is key to normal development. So the title of the podcast today is Finding a New Normal. And I think that's important to touch on and acknowledge that this conversation really doesn't imply going back to normal and back to the way we once were pre-pandemic because it's really impossible for us to be the way we once were because our environment and the world just never will return to that state of normalcy that we were once used to. And that can be a very scary thought for a lot of people. Where's the comfort in kind of finding a new normal? Where can people find comfort in that statement? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you said it so well that we would like to go back to pre-pandemic you know experiences and states Um, we hold on to that idea of who we were how we functioned and then a crisis something very significant comes into our world such as the pandemic and all the experiences around it and it shifts everything from the way we can leave the house or not or who we can have direct contact with or not and lost relationships, lost experiences. So as we enter into the, what we'll say is some sort of post-pandemic stage, really we do seek the comfort of who we were before, what we did before, how we did things before, because we are creatures of habit. That's why it takes so long for us to change a habit because we seek the habit of knowing ourselves in whatever we were doing or experiencing or who, how we felt. So as we go into this new normal, we can use some of the patterns or experiences that we had before. You know, maybe every Sunday we do go for supper with people we care about. We can go back into that. But maybe what has changed for some people is they maybe have lost someone 
or someone has got long haul COVID impact and you can't see them in the same way. So as we try and find that new normal, we can rely on some of the things that we did before, but we have to make adjustments, adjustments to what is now our reality. Um, whether that's how we have our relationships, you know, what experiences we can go back to with a mask, without. Um, if you're traveling, you know, there's still some expectation that you wear a mask on an airplane. Some people might want to get rid of that totally, but it's part of still this new normal where they're trying to figure out what travel is going to look like. Um, there's lots of delays and disruptions still happening. And so as you find your new normal, you have to adjust to still some of the stressors what that means in your day-to-day -day functioning and externalize it. Externalize that you might have feelings of frustration, confusion, sadness, because there's losses around lots of experiences and maybe there's lost relationships, right? And so the new normal might be without some of the people and relationships you knew from before. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, one of the biggest things about a new normal is talking about these things, actually vocalizing what might be you know, frustrating in terms of regulations or what types of stressors are new that weren't existent before. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things in terms of adjustment for everyone was a varying of routines. So during the pandemic, it's still happening of course, there's a lot of flexibility that was required from people with the fluctuating lockdowns and regulations changing and you know, settling into different work and school lives constantly. People being required to go back to work, like. Now a lot of people are returning back in person, um, so a lot of switch back and forth, and I think that made a lot of people very resilient in this time as well. Based on your experience with individuals coming forward to you about these struggles of going back and forth, what kinds of things do you think might help people with this constant adjustment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, mm -hmm. so you really have to go to you know, who the people are, how they were functioning before, and maybe how they want to function now, because maybe they do want to increase some of their, let's say, activities physically, or they want to get more socially engaged. So really, you start with some of the structure needed. And that could be setting some really small goals for a daily purpose or a weekly purpose, and keep them very manageable. So find small stepping stones, you know, things that you can step into, and then they can link to goals and changes that you're trying to experience as you find that new normal. What feels comfortable, what doesn't. And remember, when we're looking for the new normal, it may not feel comfortable. But what you're trying to figure out is, is this okay enough as I right make these changes and or I find new ways to function with the people I care about or even just myself and the world that I operate from? Mm-hmm. So COVID has had a big impact on the socialization of human beings, being social beings like you mentioned. And a lot of the media has focused on the adverse neurological effects that affect things like memory and attention, so brain fog, uh, a lot of people experiencing chronic fatigue, the isolation that's required when you actually get sick. These are a lot of different factors that in culmination uh, result in a lot of loneliness for people. And I think this has kind of come to a hiatus of consistent social interaction and a lot of people are out of practice with you know being around other people so how do you think people can start to get motivated again to put themselves out there after being isolated for all these years for sometimes weeks and months at a time uh, especially now that it's summertime you know the calgary stampede is happening there's a lot of opportunity to get out and enjoy yourself 
but that level of interaction might be a little bit stunted for people. So how can people kind of begin to start to mix socially again? Yeah, that's a big component of finding your new normal. I mean, I think there's a continuum on it because in the world itself, you see lots of people, there could be people or groups of people, I guess I could say it, that are definitely not holding back. And they're just out there right now doing everything and anything as you know they did before because mm-hmm. they want that social connection. I think our stampede's a great example of it, mm-hmm. where it's full on, and I've heard those tents are full and people are out, and that's great. So they're coming back into the world in many ways. Mm-hmm. The medical narrative might have a little more hesitation on that, mm-hmm. but I think the social narrative is let's go, let's experience for those that are comfortable to do so. And then I think on that continuum, you will have people that are going to maybe navigate more based on, I don't want to go into the world's biggest crowd, but I'm happy to go to a barbecue at the park and there's 10 Mm -hmm. people and I want to go and be a part of that and I haven't been to a barbecue in two years or something like that. So there's some hesitation and they're really paying attention to how they do things Mm -hmm. and who they're doing things with and how that process will be so that everyone can be maybe safe and we can just make sure we still have distance and you know other protocol that they feel they need and then there are some people that are still struggling to leave the house and to feel okay to go to the grocery store without a mask they may be more reserved to return to functions that might have more than two three people Mm -hmm. they may not be comfortable yet going to restaurants so they're going to be more isolated than maybe those on the other end of the continuum that are going every day out and finding many social experiences remember it's not about right or wrong it's really looking at your intentionality And that because of the gap for lots of people around social interaction and this psychological impact that can have, and physical, of course, impact of being so isolated with the stress of being alone, um, there would be an encouragement to want people to find some meaningful connections. Even if it's just a person you go walking with outside now, that we do encourage that. And then for those that want to have, you know, multiple social experiences and with many people, I mean, if you're emotionally and psychologically ready for that and you feel that you're physically in a good place then people will enter into that and we do have some of the socialization or social norms around it where if you know five of your friends are going to an event you might go to just because five of your friends are going and it seems like okay to go mm-hmm. or this really great experience right. um, and that again we're social beings so we follow some of those social norms and social influences mm-hmm. so it sounds like on that continuum kind of individuals will do whatever they're comfortable with but it's also important to put yourself out there eventually because of that importance of social interaction across the lifespan Mm -hmm. and we're really paying attention to what each person needs Mm -hmm. Um, there might be those that have medical needs that have more concerns and to really respect that too that they may not be as ready but it doesn't mean we can't have a phone call still or meet them somewhere and keep the distance and really respect that self-determination around I don't feel as safe or as ready or as healthy to be out there socially like someone else on the other end of the continuum. Yeah and that's a great point to respect everyone's boundaries in that way. Another thing I wanted to talk about was that it's not only difficult to get out and meet new people now that the last wave is starting to die down but the sociability burden can also affect a lot of the relationships that are more long-standing. So being isolated with family or roommates, for example, for such a long time can really aggravate those relationships. 
Why do you think living together with people, whether it's family or roommates for so long, could compromise these relationships in a close vicinity? Well, that's a great question as well. There is research on on this outside of the COVID context, Mm -hmm. but the research actually highlights that if people live in very close quarters with a lot of stress, and that could be lots of stress based on um, could be income, it could be lack of you know other resources, could be people not being able to socially and emotionally relate to each other in a healthy way, that the mental health, mental health outcomes are actually more negative. Mm-hmm. So COVID forced people into situations where they were in the home together for longer periods of time under stress. There was lots of stress. People were in family systems were bringing in all sorts of stressors based on job changes, school that's online, you know, children that have to be cared for while parents were trying to work, etc., etc. And so that forced, you know, containment of people put them at risk for that stress to be impacting them in a way that their mental health outcomes wouldn't be as good. And we saw lots of research out there saying higher rates of anxiety, depression, some PTSD, and addictions, of course, can be, you know, compounds that if people are not coping as well and just feel they need to escape the stress somehow. So really, if you look at the research, it does tell us that keeping people contained in closed quarters under stress is going to lead to worse mental health outcomes. And that actually includes violence, Mm -hmm. um, where there's more susceptibility around aggression and potentially not being able to handle it in the best way because you are feeling like maxed out. You don't have the same internal controls and resources that you might if you weren't under so much chronic stress every day and isolated, you know, in living situations with other people that normally you would have time to get out and away from and come back to and and feel good about doing that. Mm -hmm. To do with that chronic stress piece, so I think that's something everyone experienced at one point or another during this pandemic is whether you're contracting the virus or fearing it, there's a lot of stress, fear, you know, loneliness, paranoia that's associated with the pandemic as a whole. How does these specific COVID-induced symptoms kind of differ from your typical general anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder that you've seen prior to COVID? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you look at COVID-19 and probably there's the profiling of it on, you know, the, in the media. And you had a medical narrative that was, you know, really bringing forward the severity of what this is and how it can impact people from a health and medical perspective. Um, And then you've also got social narratives and economic narratives. A lot of those narratives brought a lot of fear Mm -hmm. and that bad things are happening. People are dying economically. People were impacted and some people unfortunately losing jobs and homes and et cetera and socially losing connections. So when you think about generalized anxiety, that's generalized across all aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. If you think of the illness-oriented anxiety and or the anticipatory anxiety around the COVID-19 threat and reality, mm-hmm. it's so specific to that virus mm-hmm. and the impact of, of that virus on many aspects of our lives and our society. Definitely. Do you think there's a population who would be more susceptible to adverse psychological impacts by the pandemic? Definitely. Yeah. That's very researched. Um, the intersectionality, right, of class 
any other group that's marginalized could be based on race, mm-hmm. ability slash disability. Um, any group that's already facing a lot of oppression and barriers in, in society to be able to create resources and engage life with, in a really meaningful way and not experience violence and or lack of resources and or feeling like they don't matter, they're less visible, mm-hmm. more marginalized, they will always be more um, at risk because they're already facing so many barriers and then there's going to be now another substantial um, risk around the impact of what this means, whether on work, their safety, access to resources, how they can live or not. And the research is there. It's identifying it clear. It's just clear across the table which population groups that were already marginalized were further marginalized Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. impacted. I want to take a look at the other side of the coin, so kind of more of a lighter side. Do you see if any any positive outcomes brought by the pandemic at all? Well, I'm going to say, you know, I don't think uh, bringing a virus into society in general is um, going Great to thing. be yes, yeah. a positive um, situation. Right. But I think it showed, what the virus did is it showed how people came together mm-hmm. to take a look at how we could support those that were struggling. Yeah. Um, you saw some incredible... Um, just leadership in helping professionals, medical, first responders, mental health, teachers, like any other profession. Oh, to you talk about first responders, primary service providers, those that are functioning to support the well-being of society. I just think you saw capacity develop and show up and, and then people appreciating it, realizing what those folks do for us and society. I mean, just that validation of, you know, someone didn't have to go do that, but someone else chose to do it, i.e. even teachers and, you know, teaching kids online. I think you saw a recognition of the strength of humanity, mm-hmm. even though there was there were so many barriers to be faced and lots of stressful situations. Mm-hmm. I also think you saw people realign with what matters in life. Definitely. Does it really matter if you have three of those, or does it matter more that you're with the people you care about most, that you can connect to those people um, in meaningful ways, even if it meant, uh, you know, online conversation and a cup of tea every night, that you actually took time to be able to connect to people because you realize that at the end of the day, that's what makes meaning in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think you also saw a world response where we thought about each other across the world, like that's happening over there and what does that mean for us over here and is there a way to support over there? And you saw these large human responses and I think that's important for us too because it's humanity and hope, those two together that people will show up, that people will try and bring something good to a difficult situation. And remember, it's not always perfect because you know we'll find faults in some of that you know movement that people are trying to do, but any movement is better than no movement when done with the intentionality to do something good that will better or something that will reduce the burden for other people in mm-hmm. our society. Mm-hmm. 
just sounds like there was a lot of resiliency, flexibility, innovation, and kind of a reinstatement of genuine relationships. Mm. And even if an example, like when I was teaching online, you know, as a post-secondary um, instructor, one of the things I noticed is, you know, students struggling, but students connecting to each other in the struggle. And then as an instructor, of course, you know, teaching, but not just teaching, letting them know that they're thought about, checking in a bit more on, you know, the students. Like at, at a post-secondary level, you know, it's young adults in the world and they are taking care of themselves. But during COVID, it was checking in more, making sure people are in a good sleep routine and that they're, you know, have food and that they're showing up. And if you didn't see them for a few weeks or emailing them to reach out, reach in. And so caring for each other and or caring through our professions in a different way. It's interesting to see that contrast that on the surface level, the pandemic seemed to put people in a lot of isolation and bring people apart. But one of the outcomes was to push people to, you know, strengthen some of their relationships and, and come together as well. Okay, I think that's all we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this discussion. Hopefully you learned something helpful by tuning in today. And a huge thank you to Dr. Miller for the valuable insight, as always, that you share in conversations. Uh, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with today, Dr. Miller? Well, you know my little jingle. <laughs> so I always like to say, be brave, be strong, and take care of yourself. And that means you matter in the world. Find your strength, whatever that is. And always remember to take care of who you are. Self-determine that or determine it with others that care about you so that you can live well in this world as you deserve to with other people. Very well said. Okay, thanks again. Have a great day.